Welcome to the Exhibit A Podcast. Three, two, one. We are on, and uh, today we have Anthony with us. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. We are going to be talking about a... Uh, I don't want to say it's a less serious topic, but it's <laughs> not going to be one that's going to make people cry out there or you know have to go and you know you know find a shrink or anything like that. We've had some pretty serious conversations with some professionals today, and you're a serious professional. But the topic today is going to be reality versus Hollywood. Absolutely. And and, and I, this was your topic, okay? This was and, one. and we'll talk about why you chose that out of all things. But <laughs> I'm glad that you did because it's an interesting one. Really, what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I think, because you're you're kind of the master of ceremonies here today, <laughs> is we're going to be talking about what people think going to court's all about, and then what it's really like. And you know, like you, and I think probably like most family law attorneys, we find that our clients come into our offices with all kinds of crazy oh, ideas, yeah. or just they just don't have a clue. Absolutely. And part of our job really is is to get them down to reality and say, look, this is real life. This is not something that you've been thinking about. So sure. we're going to cover that this today, have some fun with it, uh, and hopefully that our, our viewers, especially if they've never been to court before, will have a better idea of what it's all about. Absolutely. First, I want to talk about you, uh, dear sir. Okay. You have been with our office, fortunately, for about three months. Uh, you're new to our office, but you already are doing great things with our clients. Thank you. Uh, I, I knew that we got ourselves a good one. Anthony, <laughs> you, you're a graduate of Loyola Law School. I am the only graduate of Loyola Law School in this office, <laughs> so I'm a little bit of a black sheep here. <laughs> well, wait, 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 wait. We did have an attorney who unfortunately went back to uh, Chicago. He was from Loyola in Chicago. Oh, so okay. You're, not, you're, you're true. Loyola Marymount. Loyola right? Marymount, downtown Los Angeles. Okay. And uh, I was looking at your resume. I mean, this is the resume that I first laid eyes on. I still have a copy of it for some reason. It's there on my desk. And it said that you had a concentration in school in civil litigation and advocacy. I did, yeah. Uh, my original goal coming out of law school was to do uh, litigation, uh, civil litigation, specifically employment litigation. And I had an opportunity to uh, do some family law, and I loved it, and I've been doing that ever since. So is that why you got into family law, is because you got your feet wet and you thought, hey, this works for me? Yeah, absolutely. I really enjoyed the, the, the court aspect of it. And you know, in litigation, you get in court maybe once a month. If you're lucky, you'll have a trial maybe once a year. Family law is completely different. You're in court all the time, and we're going to be talking about that today. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's uh, interesting that you say that because um, – uh, I don't think people realize that family law attorneys are probably in court as much, if not more, than just about every other type of an attorney. Absolutely. Would you agree? Yeah. My, my first year, I was in court on average about two times per week, sometimes even three times per week. Yeah. So we get in there quite a bit. We get really familiar with the judges. We get really familiar with the courtroom. Um, so we have a lot of experience in the courtroom uh, compared to other practice areas. Yeah. And so if you really want to be a trial attorney and you want to get into court, this is the uh, area of law that you want, to, you want to at least look at. Uh, you know, I'm from the before becoming a family law attorney, I was a deputy DA, was in court a real lot there. Right. I, you know, I can't say that it was any less than family. It was probably about the same amount of time. Mm -hmm. Trials were a little bit longer, but family law, you're doing hearings a lot more. Yeah. The, the difference that I see in, is, is that in criminal land, the prosecutor is supposed to win, <laughs> right? You know, and, uh, you know, so if you're not winning most of the time, there's something wrong because right. because the cards are supposed to be stacked in your favor. You're not supposed to be bringing cases to trial unless you really believe in them and then you believe you could prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. Absolutely. And you got all kinds of professionals helping you. In family law, what we have is what I call the the wild west. <laughs> you know, what you got is you got uh, 
gunslingers out there. You're right. going against other private attorneys who are very good, you know, sometimes. I mean, sometimes not so good, but a lot of them are good, and it's a battle. And I'm, So I'm saying that because I actually think that the litigation in family law is more hardcore than anything I've ever seen before. I absolutely agree so, with that. So we could also agree that you're crazy, then, for wanting to do this, right? Probably a little bit, but aren't we Aren't we all a little <laughs> bit crazy for wanting to do this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, what I tell people is, is that you know, if you're going to practice family law, you had better be able to stomach it because it's about can you take a hit, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and can you can you really keep fighting in spite of what what appears to be you know losing causes and things like that? Because it is a tough area of practice, but right. really a rewarding one when we could do things for people, right? Absolutely. Yeah. When you when you walk out of there with a good order set of orders and and you've done right by your client and you're prepared for that hearing and nothing really feels better in the world than, I agree. than being really successful in the courtroom and, and having a tangible feeling of, of having that success. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times, I mean, I hate to say this, but sometimes you know that you really performed really well. Yeah. You know that you got really good results. You go out into the hallway, you look at your client's eyes and they're crying. <laughs> Sometimes they don't know that they did well. Hopefully not that often, but no. but it does. But you know happen. that it's true, it right? Happen. Because because again, this is, goes into our topic is right. is that people have different expectations. They don't know what to expect in family law, and their view as to what it's all about and how it's going to handle is is different. So you thought of this topic, and you gave me a list right. prior to us going on air, and I looked through <laughs> these, and I added a few more to myself, but I'd like to go through, through these with you. Okay, uh, so. In general, why do you think that people have different ideas about what really happens in family court? The reality of family court is that it's not as sexy or exciting as the what you see on TV or in the movies, right? Uh, they tend to trump up the drama uh, up to level 11. And TV does. Exactly. And, you know, to make a good TV show, which is great. Uh, but unfortunately, what that causes is a misconception of what family court is really like. It's much more procedural. It's much more structured, and um, you know the the back and forth arguing, the yelling and screaming. A lot of that doesn't really happen in real life. It happens sometimes, but uh, a good judge would not la- allow that to happen. And good attorneys wouldn't want that to happen Correct. either. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so number one on your list was every, this is the common myth. So yep. your list of common myths is that every family law case requires a court hearing. Yeah. So talk about that. So sometimes I get clients that come in, or or potential clients that come in, saying. You know, I'm really nervous on the stand. I don't want to go in front of a judge. I just want to get divorced and move on with my life. Well, the good news is 80 to 90% of family law cases get resolved without ever having to step foot into a courtroom. Uh, The very small minority of the cases that do uh, tend to be the ones that are a little bit higher conflict or ones that you're not able to come to agreements on. But it is entirely possible to get your case resolved without ever having to go to court. Yeah, to piggyback on that, I find that um, the only time that I go to trial is sure. when the other side's being unreasonable. Absolutely. You know, and so I think that's a reason why most of us, you know, settle 95% of our cases. Right. Now, some people may have to go to court initially, but you're right. They don't necessarily have to go to trial. And, uh, you know, trial is actually not as often as, 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 doesn't occur as often as people think. Not as often. And that's good. Tell, t- what do you think that it's good, by the way? I, I assume you do. My, my hope is that the, the entire world uh, is made up of people who are reasonable, who are logical, and able to put aside their differences. Um, if that constitutes the majority of the people, 
then there really should be a minority of cases that end up in court because they're able logical, to resolve man. themselves. You got, you got <laughs> broke it down. I never realized that. That, that is a good explanation. That's my hope. I, if that's true, then then great. If not, then, you know. <laughs> it sounds like it makes sense. Okay. Number two. All right. Mothers always win in family court. Common misconception. Come on, dude. Common misconception. Okay. Maybe at one point in our lives, uh, moms may have had an advantage. They weren't uh, usually the ones out in the workforce. They were at home caring for the children. We're now in 2019, and, and the job market has changed. Women are working. And that notion of which women uh, or mothers being the only winners in family law court is no longer true. Um, you know, there's no real specific gender bias as to uh, who is successful in court. It really does matter who has the better case, who is better prepared, and who can prepare their uh, their their arguments and uh, uh, case the best way for the court to give those orders. Yeah, I've noticed since I've been practicing family laws, which has been now quite a long time, <laughs> is that there has been a change. You know, I think the code has always been gender neutral. Right. But the judges haven't necessarily always been gender neutral, and we should say this is is, uh, and I think you would agree with this is that there's still bias among judges for a variety of reasons, uh, whether they like you know tall people or short people or men or women. I mean that's just the human nature. So we have that. But I but in my uh, profession or my practice, I've seen that men are getting more time with their children. And more fifty percent orders or, or primary custody yeah. uh, than ever before. So that's good. But you, but what about really small children though? Don't you agree that still moms have the uh, the they get the the benefit of having you know little children that they have to nurture? And, and the courts pretty much say mom gets to keep the children for the first like year or so. They're not going to change that up. Not to the preclusion of the father being in the child's life. No, that's if true. He, if he is able and capable of caring for that minor child. Um, you know, and has the ability to. Uh, the court does consider that to be a viable uh, fact that's in the best interest of the minor child, regardless of their age. Well, here, here's what I've seen. I've seen that the courts are like, hey, look, you know, mom, you're good at primary custody because you're the one that's, you know, breastfeeding or yeah. you're nurturing, and it's really important for developmental reasons. But you're going to let dad see this child almost on a daily basis, right. so that there's a bonding that goes on. Absolutely. You know, and I've seen some courts really, really get concerned about that. Um, but, but I still find that, you know, over the, at least in the first year, that there is a favorite towards mom because of the developmental reasons. Absolutely. It's not written in the law. Okay, so we now know that we have a gender-neutral courtroom, pretty much, <laughs> depending on the biases of judges, but judges are getting better. And uh, The next one is, is this is a myth putting children on the stand and making them choose between their parents. So talk about that. So one of the the nightmare scenarios in a disputed custody case is the idea that the children are going to be put onto the stand and made to choose between their parents. Um, Something like that would never happen. Um, It's absolutely traumatic for a minor child to have to be put in that situation. And our courts go to extremely... uh, long lengths to ensure that these children are protected from that type of situation. So no, a child will not be put on the stand or made to be choo- uh, made to choose between their parents. Uh, there are processes by which their testimony can get into court, um, and we can have an entirely yeah. separate no, no. episode well, about let's, that. Let's give, let's give a little, little bit of discussion sure. on that. What are some of the things the court will do? Well, the court can order a child custody evaluation. Um, that's a provision under the family code by which a qualified professional, a psychologist, or a social worker 
will conduct an interview of the minor child, assuming that they're of age and capable of uh, making statements regarding their best interests. Um, there's also uh, parenting plan assessments. That's a court procedure by which uh, the parties and the minor child are brought to a family law facilitator's office, which is not a courtroom. Um, and an interview is conducted of all the, the parties and the children. And then a recommendation is made to court. But those are pretty far lengths from what you see or what you hear about having a child be cross-examined. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that doesn't really happen, not in the, in the situation that I've been in. Yeah. In my experience, uh, there's two other things, two at least two other things, because we didn't talk about minors' counsel. Right. But, but uh, I've seen uh, where the court will bring the minor child into the chambers Right. And with the attorneys and with the court reporter, and the parties remain out in the courtroom, yep. right? And uh, and in those circumstances, you know, there's some really soft questioning. Right. It's really some questioning, and the, the attorneys are very delicate, obviously. Right. Uh, but the the one ex- exception that I've seen is is where the uh, child is a percipient witness of domestic violence. That's also you know? one as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and when they're older, like older, you know, teenagers, I've actually seen them take the stand. And when they're younger, they've gone in chambers and, and testified. Um, and, we, of course, we want to tell our viewers that children over the age of 14 get to do what? They are presumed to be able to testify if they want to. Right. Right. And, right. and they're entitled to be enti- uh, appointed minors counsel to represent their interests should they do choose to testify. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, folks out there, if you're going to go into court, don't expect your children to have to take the stand right. and be, uh, you know, cross-examined and be put through the rough proceedings because the the whole system is very uh, cognizant of the delicacies that are involved there. Absolutely. One other point is that I, I think the the maturity of the minor child is something that the courts take a seriously uh, serious look at, and whether they're willing to and whether they're capable of. Um, it's entirely different putting a uh, you know, asking a, a four-year-old to, you know, make a decision rather than a 14-year-old. Those are compl- two completely different scenarios. Right. They want the child, uh, they want to know that the child's mature and rational enough. Exactly. Okay. Another one here. Admission of infidelity and other bad acts <laughs> evidence in divorce custody proceedings. Tell me about that. That, okay. sounds, that sounds juicy. Hypothetical scenario. Um, wife and husband are married for 15 years, and the wife has an, and has an extramarital affair. And now husband wants to say, well, you cheated on me, and therefore I'm entitled to all the marital assets, all the community property. News is that California is a no-fault state. Any uh, infidelity, any bad acts that may have happened in the marriage are completely outside the scope of the divorce. Those are not issues that the court is entitled to consider in making its uh, determinations regarding custody and visitation, and as well as division of assets. Okay, good to know. California does no fault. There are some states that are still fault states. Yep, some states still are. Uh, we'll take a look at uh, with the activities that have happened during and, and after separation, but California isn't one of them. Do, do you know what year it was that California became a no-fault state? Man, I, I want to say the 60s or the 70s. Okay, it was 1970. 1970s. You, you weren't alive at the time. <laughs> I was. I remember when that happened. Uh, I remember reading it. I was back in, you know... In Illinois, I remember reading the paper that California became a no-fault state. It was right. so revolutionary at the time. You know, there's still a couple of attorneys that are practicing family law that practice in those old days. Oh yeah, absolutely. Aren't you jealous? And they'll try to drag that information in, but guess what? <laughs> it's it's it stays outside of the courtroom. 
Come on, but but you're kind of jealous, though. I mean, could you imagine? You know, <laughs> you're making your case because you're talking about all these moral infidelities and all this stuff. And there you go. Getting your, your reporters. Uh, actually, no, it's good because <laughs> because really, what we want to do is we want to save the people, save the stress, and it, and we mm-hmm. want to get people through this very tough process. And right. and I think it, it makes sense. I don't know why some of the states uh, still have the fault. Well, but, a little bit backwards over there. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The amount of time hearing takes. What's the what's the uh, the myth about that? So when you see a courtroom proceeding on TV or movies, you are looking at maybe a three to four hour court hearing with multiple witnesses and you know multiple rounds of cross examination. The reality is these courts have about twenty cases on their calendar each day that they need to get to. So the average time you're actually in front of the judge ranges anywhere between fifteen and twenty minutes in real life. Um, they're really expedient in the way that they get these resolved. They get directly to the point. Ancillary issues tend to fall by the wayside. And um, the reality is there's just so many cases that these judges have to hear that there isn't enough time to take a two to three hour hearing on, on all of these issues. Okay. And so what we're talking about really is is what we call pendente lighty hearings. That's correct. What is that? Pendente lighty hearing is a, is a pretrial uh, order uh, hearing to make uh, temporary orders pending the final disposition of any particular family law case. So these are orders that are remain in only in effect until a final trial or a judgment. Okay, so a lot of people don't know this when they come into our office, but uh, there's lots of attempts to get into court before the trial. Correct. And we call those penente lighty hearings, yep. and therefore, what type of issues? They're, they can range from almost every other uh, every issue. You can have property control, you can have temporary custody visitation, um, you can have certain property division matters determined prior to trial, but anything that needs a, a, a temporary order in order to maintain a certain uh, standard pending the trial date, those are what we call pendente. Especially child and spousal support. Correct, exactly. Yeah. Maybe some attorney's fees or something like that. Absolutely. So, so you, get, you get into court real fast in family court, but, but I think that uh, people don't realize that those hearings are so short, and they turn around and they go, well, you didn't say this, or you know, the judge said this, and they don't realize that it's just a temporary order that exactly. they're doing, right? Yeah. yeah, and you know what I find, you know, coming from the criminal uh, prosecution background, because they mm-hmm. don't have such a thing like that, uh, there's a lot of room for error at those uh, hearings as well, because right. the judge normally doesn't get all the evidence. You don't have time to do that. Right. And they're just putting Band-Aids on things at that point, right. in, in most cases, right? If they if they were to spend two to three hours on each one of these hearings, you, you probably wouldn't be able to get a court date yeah. in the next six months. No, we would never be able to handle it. Absolutely. That's a good point. Okay, so um, another myth. Parties getting yelled at by judges or lawyers. So I, I see this all the time on TV and on movies. Lawyers arguing at each other, lawyers arguing at the witness, Anthony, judges... Anthony, wait a minute. I don't, what county do you practice in, man? <laughs> Go ahead. Well, the, the reality is uh, we have guidelines of civility that we follow. There is a level of decorum that we are required to maintain, both in front of the judge and outside of the courtroom as well. Um, so the idea that you know lawyers are going to be putting you on the stand and yelling questions at you and making you, um, you look really terrible, you know, it, it doesn't really happen that way. Um, you know, advocacy does, you know, sometimes extend to the idea that you're going to obviously be questioned, but the judges are very good at maintaining the civility and the I, level I of animosity in the courtroom. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that. The part that I kind of disagree with you on <laughs> is, is that there isn't yelling going on in family court because for me, there's too much even, you know, what you're saying is right. We right. have a code of ethics and really a good lawyer is one who could do his or her job 
practicing civility exactly. and still doing effective cross-examination. But I still see some attorneys having smoke coming out of their ears and on a rare occasion, but there's a couple of judges that I've seen kind of raise their voices. Sure. And, you know, and stuff, usually the know. good judges will, will stamp that out uh, yeah. pretty quickly. Um, yeah. You know, that type of behavior doesn't really get anything no. resolved. No. Okay. And we as attorneys feel like we have a duty to uh, maintain the decorum. Exactly. The so, okay. I think this was your last one here. Surprise witnesses, surprise exhibits, smoking gun evidence. What's okay. the myth about that? So imagine the scenario. You're, you're in your trial, and all of a sudden someone calls as my surprise witness, you know, the person that saw you stealing $2,000 out of the family account and, you know, things like that. The reality is evidence gets exchanged before trial. There is no uh, surprise in a, a well-structured uh, and well-organized trial. Um, there, in fact, there's very little surprise at trials to begin with. You have an idea of what you're going in to get and the likely outcome of it. So um, surprise witnesses, surprise exhibits, smoking gun evidence um, doesn't really happen in real life. Uh, we have an understanding of what's going to happen during that trial before we get in there. If we don't, then we're doing something wrong. Yeah, yeah, and our, and our viewers should know that the uh, courts require us to present and uh, exchange exhibit books right. long before the trial is going to start. Now, I will have to say this, though. For domestic violence restraining order hearings, there is some surprises going on there because they're expedited, right. and the rules seem to be a little bit looser. So. Domestic violence restraining orders are the closest things we'll get to uh, criminal trials because, yep. in effect, they are uh, very small criminal trials in and of themselves, yeah. and you do have the right to call whatever witnesses and present any evidence in your own defense. Right. Right. Okay. So that was your list, sir. That was, and mine. that was excellent. By the way, thank <laughs> you. Thank you. Now you're going to have to bear with me as I go through my uh, right. four points. Okay. So my first myth is that the judge is always thinking about your case. Not true. Okay. Uh, you're lucky if the judge will take a look at your uh, filings about a week in advance. Sometimes it'll be the morning of. Sometimes not at all. Um, but they have such a huge caseload that it would be impossible for them to have on their minds every single case. Yeah. Do judges remember certain cases? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you'll get in there. I remember what happened in the last hearing, and you know you weren't really being truthful, and that stays with you throughout the process. But um, the majority of these cases, these judges have way too many to follow at any given time. Yeah, you know, and what I find interesting is is that some of my clients say, well, you know. What is the judge thinking about my case now? Because he, you know, the opposing counsel just wrote this letter that was untruthful about me, and right. and I have to tell them, you know, the judge, unfortunately, right now, can't remember your name, <laughs> doesn't know anything about your case. Right. You'd have to go back and look at the file, and right. and like you said, it's usually like the day before yep. or something like exactly. that. Exactly. If he's good, he'll have really good notes on it and can gather a, a, a recollection of it based off of that, but. Um, remembering every single detail about your case is probably not going to happen. Yeah, not possible. Nope. I was just at a settlement conference uh, yesterday, and we, and the me and the opposing counsel and the parties had settled the matter about maybe a month ago. And there was some dispute as to what we agreed on. Sure. And we went in front of the same judge, <laughs> and that judge had no memory of the of how the mediation took place. Isn't that always how it yeah, happens? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Myth number two from me. Okay, temporary orders, hearings are not the end of the case. Right. So um, you will get into court. Your first court hearing, you'll be ready to go. You're ready to get everything resolved, and you'll get a decent set of orders and have that be that. One to two months later, opposing party files another request for order. Well, now what's happening? I already have these orders. What's going on? Um, temporary orders are not the end of your case. They are 
temporary orders. Um, the only end to the case is a trial or a judgment or a stipulated judgment, which is what we typically uh, gear ourselves towards. So temporary orders are, are in fact just temporary. They remain in place until a set of better orders can be made or until a final trial or judgment. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of the clients think that those first two hearings is going to like resolve everything. Right. And you know, we have to be careful to say, wait, 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 this is not resolving anything but the limited issues in the motion, and it's just for temporary purposes. I think also people should know that um, the judgment it gives some finality on certain issues, right. but unlike other areas of law, there's a life after the judgment for certain issues. Can you talk about that? Yeah, the court retains jurisdiction over minor children who are under the age of 18, in which a judgment has made custody and visitation order. Um, the court retains jurisdiction over spousal support. Uh, these are all things that can be modified after judgment. There are specific things that you do have to show in order to seek a modification, but even after the fact, even after a judgment, you can still be in court. And um, you know, we 18 try... exactly. long, painful 18 years. 18 long, painful years. <laughs> Okay, number three, the rules of evidence apply in family court, okay. especially hearsay. Talk about that. So yes and no, <laughs> right? So we, we aspire to maintain the rules of evidence in family law, but your trier of fact is also the person that's going to be deciding your case. So when you tell the judge something that, shouldn't, that he shouldn't hear, guess who's going to be deciding whether he should hear, or, hear it or not? It's the same person that's going to be making that decision. So they say you can't unring the bell. Um, we have certain rules that we have to follow regarding admissibility of evidence. But the reality is in court, it's the wild, wild west. Yeah. yeah. You know, so one of the things that I do, I'm, I'm a real stickler with this, is mm -hmm. when people try to bring hearsay evidence in. And a lot of clients want to bring in letters. And they want you to attach them to their declarations or say, hey, just give these letters of my neighbors uh, to the court. Um, is there a problem with that? Yes, because um, under the hearsay rules, any kind of statement that's made outside of a judicial proceeding, not under oath, should be excluded. Now, obviously, there's a very long set of exceptions for that. Um, but a lot of the times, the judge is going to make a decision right there whether he wants to see it or not, regardless of whether it falls into an exception or and not. Sometimes the, uh, people forget to object to those things. Exactly. Too. So here's my last one, and that is, is that character evidence uh, does not apply and I'm, this isn't a myth. This is a. I guess it should say, the myth is character evidence applies in family court. Right. Okay. Tell us why that's a myth. Character evidence absolutely uh, can be admissible um, under certain scenarios. There's a multitude of different types of cases in which uh, character evidence, uh, including habit evidence, things like that, can be brought in to show you know a tendency to act in a certain way. Um, a lot of the scenarios that we come with, uh, we are faced with, is behavior during child custody uh, or during visitations. Um, how does dad or how does mom act when he's around the minor child? Is he happy? Is he sad? Is he upset? That type of evidence is absolutely essential for the court. So even though it shouldn't be included as a matter of evidence, uh, evidence um, it still gets in and it's still relevant. Yeah, I, I think that the distinction is, is if you bring somebody in and says, hey, I've seen uh, Johnny be a good father, yeah. you know, and he's loving and caring. Right. That's kind of talk about the character of his parenting skills, right? Exactly. But what doesn't come in is, is he's just a great guy. Right. He's truthful, right? right? That, right you know, right. That there's no exception in there and say, yeah, believe him, judge, because I believe him, right? It's a, it's a fine distinction, right? Uh, the court's got to make a determination of what's going to be relevant and what's not. Are you just simply bolstering your client? That's something that the court has to watch out for. It does again. We we have limited time. The court's not going to take a lot of consideration to just uh, evidence saying that your client's a great guy because you know what he probably is a great guy. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Okay. So, yeah, one more off the top of my head. All right. There's always a winner and loser in Family Court. Uh, we we don't subscribe to the idea that there are winners and losers in Family Law Court. Um, when the court makes an order that's fair to both sides, that's something that we consider to be a win. Um, the client doesn't always feel that way, and a lot of litigants don't always feel that way. So there are no clear winners and losers. Um, you know, it, it, as opposed to a, a civil case in which you get a jury verdict and you get an X dollar amount. Um, here we're dealing with issues of custody and visitation, and, and time is not something that's fungible. You know, when you lose it, uh, it's uh, it's going to hurt. When you get it, it's going to feel good, but the court's got to make that determination. Okay, great. So now we get to move on to some more topics, uh, right. different topics that I've made for you. I, actually, I'm going to give you this list here, and this one right here I thought was interesting because it's talking about I guess there was a survey, sure. uh, and this is a, a program that's called Reddit. Are you familiar with that? I am familiar with what, Reddit. What is that? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a baby boomer. <laughs> I have no idea what Reddit is. Reddit is a, is a messaging board that allows you to uh, engage in communities and discuss certain topics from everything from um, who won The Bachelor to you know NASCAR to okay. pretty much anything in Sounds the world. Sounds like it's a pretty cool program. Exactly. So for some reason, there was a conversation on Reddit concerning what uh, divorce attorneys say are the craziest reasons why people decided to divorce. And, <laughs> and it starts off with around 40% of American couples get divorced. I think they're wrong. I think it's more than that. Sure. And divorce lawyers are there to see all the drama unfold. Unsurprisingly, they have some stories, and someone finally had the bright idea to ask them about all the things they've seen. Right. So I just highlighted a couple of uh, the funnies here, I thought. Uh, <laughs> first one says, uh, taught the parakeet. Certain cuss words for his wife. Ha ha ha! The parrot lives with a man now. <laughs> oh, okay, no. okay. And you could read the second one that I've highlighted. All right. The second one says, "Still remember an early case I worked on, not me personally. Uh, man divorced his wife for her bingo addiction. Ten to twelve times per week she went to bingo. She was eighty-two and he was eighty-six. Must have been a really great bingo game. Yeah, you know what? It must be a really cruel guy. Yeah. I mean, just let the lady play bingo for crying out loud. Exactly. It's not like it's Vegas or anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, how yeah. much money do you spend on bingo? Uh, I don't. I can't imagine. Come on, too you're, going much, to, right? you're going to the local church. You're hitting sure. with the other eighty-year-olds playing right. bingo, and they might give you like a coupon or something if you win it. There you go. All the juice yeah. you can drink. Okay, I want to represent the woman on this one. <laughs> okay, what was the second one in that one? Uh, all-time greatest says two twenty-somethings. So, you know, obviously, there's more of those now. Uh, they're irreconcilable because he kept smoking her weed stash when she wasn't home. Now, that's just not cool. <laughs> that's not cool. You got to get your own. Um, nothing, nothing says happy marriage like separate weed stashes. Okay, now, you know what? Uh, my wife and I drink wine, and we share <laughs> wine from the same bottle. You know, Now, she doesn't smoke my cigars, okay? right. but that's because she doesn't smoke cigars. Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, the next one is um, my dad was a divorce lawyer. He had a client who wanted to divorce her husband for two reasons. Number one. He didn't have enough hair on his chest. Oh, no. And two, he did not drive fast enough. I can't believe this one here. Because for I, one thing, wouldn't she know that he didn't have hair on his chest before she married him? Well, I would think that these are actually reasons to not divorce someone rather than divorce them. I mean, I think having too much hair on your chest is actually a bad thing and driving <laughs> too fast. It depends, on, it depends on the lady. Exactly. Don't you, you can't speak for the ladies out there. Exactly. Okay? And I won't either. <laughs> okay, the next one. Go ahead and you read this one. Uh, I didn't like her anymore uh, two days after being married. Now, we have had some of these yeah. before. Yeah, weird. And they're very weird because the question that comes to your head is, why did you get married in the first place? And you know what? You're in Vegas. You're, you're having a lot of fun. Hey, let, I got a great idea. Let's go to the chapel. And two days later, you end up at, uh, at the law office of Donald <laughs> P. Schweitzer, right? Trying to get that annulled. <laughs> 
Okay, and the, I think we'll leave this one. Here's the last <laughs> one here. I got some friends got divorced because she legit hated Dale Earnhardt, and he legit hated Jeff Gordon. So first of all, be careful saying this in the NASCAR subreddit because <laughs> I think you're going to get a lot of angry fans. Um, you know what? I think Lakers and Clippers are probably a better reason to get divorced if you have some some differences there. But you know what? NASCAR fans, they take their, their, their stuff pretty seriously. That is so true. You know, I, I come from Chicago, and uh, the two teams out there where the fans are just either one or the other, sure. the Cubs or the White Sox. Oh, that's a, that's you, a, that's a tough and one. And my family has a mixture of that. So right. we haven't had any divorces because of that. At okay, least. there okay. you go. <laughs> okay. The last thing I want to talk to you about is I, I came across this article. It's called 11 Essential Movies About Divorce. Okay. Okay. Now, I don't know of an attorney who hasn't at least watched one movie about courtroom proceedings sure. or anything. Do you, do you ever watch courtroom proceeding movies? I, I do when I can. I, I don't watch too many movies. And if I do, they're probably not ones about family law or divorce. So. Okay. Well, what's your favorite one? Um, I think the one that I that comes to mind is, is Liar Liar, which was a... <laughs> That's about divorce. Yeah, that is about divorce. Now, let me get this straight. That would mean that you lied about your age to make yourself older. But why would any woman want to do that? I changed it so I could get married. And the truth shall set you free! But that's the only one that I can really remember okay. um, that involved family law. Okay. And obviously, the, the classics, A Few Good Men and, and all that great stuff. Legally Blonde, yeah. you know? My, so. my, my favorite, let me just put it out there, is yeah. My Cousin Vinny. Oh, that's a great one. Okay, because I think that every young attorney who goes in front of a judge <laughs> feels like that guy in there, man. It's exactly. Like, you know, sir, uh, did you say utes? <laughs> did you say utes? Yeah, two utes. What is a ute? Oh, excuse me, Your Honor. Two youths. You know? <laughs> I still feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> just don't just don't dress like him. Exactly. It was tuxedo, exactly. So. <laughs> so in the in these movies here, uh, we'll just flip through a couple of them. I, sure. Because I haven't I actually haven't seen most of these. I, yeah, neither uh, have I. First Wives Club, haven't seen it. Haven't seen that one. Waiting to Exhale, nope. You got some homework to do, Don. Uh, it'll <laughs> make me a better family law attorney exactly. if I read these things. Mrs. Doubtfire. Now that I have seen. That one is a lot of fun. And I'm going to say this is probably my favorite divorce movie of all time. <laughs> did, did, have you seen it? I have seen it, and it seems like an issue that's subject to a restraining order because that is really, really weird. Miss Hillen? The water's boiling. That's true. We, we we don't want our viewers over to, to, to do what Mr. Doubtfire did, no, right? No, definitely okay. do not. Okay. Under the Tuscan Sun. Nope, haven't read it. It's complicated. Mm-hmm. No, that's with uh, Baldwin. It looks like Alec Baldwin. Okay. In Meryl Streep. Nope. Kramer versus Kramer. Kramer. I haven't seen that one, but I, you I know keep, what? It's on my list. It's supposed to be a really, really sad one. Okay. I saw like the halfway part, and it starts off with this young couple dating, you know, and stuff, sure. and, and they're happy, and then the years kind of unfold, and right. they get a little bit crankier, and I know that it ends really, really sad, and it's oh, like, no. I see enough of that work, I'm like, <laughs> I'll turn that one off, man. So one thing, one thing that we should say is that we usually, when we get off or we clock out, we're not usually thinking about family law anymore. No. We're, we're on to other things, um, you know, and trying to live a normal life outside of the office as well. You're right, you're yeah. right, and I, and I do say that if you uh, can't do that, then you have no business doing this work. Absolutely. Because, because you could internalize a lot of it. Yeah. 
Okay, young man, you've All done right. great today. <laughs> thank you very much. We're going to get you back on this program because you were uh, well-prepared, <laughs> just like when you go to court. I thank you. And I appreciate it. It's been, a, it's been really exciting getting on the podcast. I've watched all the episodes in preparation, so I hope I did okay today. You did great. Okay, <laughs> and thank you for joining us on Exhibit A. Thank you.